We're looking at uh, spiritual mile markers. Remember last week, uh, the Apostle Paul said that um, everybody runs, but only certain people win. And if we're going to run, we might as well run to win. And we talked about a mile marker in our spiritual journey. Last week, we talked about tithing. And so today, we're going to look at mile marker number two, and it is the concept and the act of forgiveness. And before we, we get going too much further, I, I want us to understand or I want us to look at this, this subject this morning uh, from a perspective that forgiveness is not simply um, a particular act at a particular time. There's an element of that to um, the concept, but I think much more importantly, um, forgiveness in the life of a Christian is a way of life. It is an aspect of life. It is um, how we choose uh, to deal with people and how we choose to, to live our lives. So um, I want us to approach things um, from, from that angle as we look at it this morning. And to be honest with you, when I first thought of, of this particular subject, I had a whole different text uh, in mind. I, I really um, thought that I would talk or would look at the, um, the parable that Jesus uh, tells about forgiveness and the steward and, um, uh, you know, how uh, his debts were forgiven, but he didn't forgive somebody else. I really thought that's, that's where we were going, and, well, that's what I get for thinking. Um, that's not where we're going. Um, I, I was drawn to one scripture, and uh, most of the time I'm a little leery of one scripture sermons, uh, because I think it's just easy for us to uh, pull things uh, maybe out of context or, um, you know, not, not see the big picture in things, so I, I'm hesitant about those. So uh, I'm not going to do a one scripture sermon. I'm going to do a half a scripture, okay? Um, and the one that I've been led to is one that everybody in this room is familiar with, and you've heard it many, many, many times. If you don't know much at all about the Christian story and about the story of Christ, I, I have a feeling uh, that you've heard these words before, but Luke records them in the 23rd chapter of his gospel. It's one of the last things that the Lord says before he dies. Um, as, he's, as he's on the cross, um, he says, Lord, or he says, Father, excuse me, he says, Father, uh, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And that's not a lot of information. That's not a lot of rhetoric or a lot of, a lot of words there, but I think it's got a, a really, really deep application or a really deep meaning if we'll delve into it and maybe break it down, uh, even though it's a small uh, amount of scripture, if we break it down to even smaller parts this morning. Uh, hopefully we can understand exactly what Jesus 
was saying at that particular time. And so let's, let's do that. Um, the first thing that I want us to look at is the word that, that the Lord used, and, and he said, uh, Father, forgive. And in the context in which Jesus says that, um, he's asking his Father to do something. Okay? Now, when we think of forgiveness, um, that's hard to... Um, to paint a word picture of exactly what that means because forgiveness is, um, it's a noun. It's, it's, a, um, it's a concept, okay? Um, it's not something that's necessarily tangible that you can touch, like I can touch this, this podium, okay? It's way more abstract than that when we just use the word forgiveness. <clears throat> but when Jesus was on the cross and he said that to God, he used it as a noun. Excuse me. He used it as a verb, okay? He asked his heavenly father to do something, to forgive. And so what does that mean? What's, what's that mean to us? What's that look like to us um, when there's actually some type of action or some type of work involved in the concept? And you know that I don't know anything about Greek and Aramaic language, okay? Nothing. I don't, you know, I do really, really well to get some English out every now and then. But I do know that evidently it's hard to completely translate the concept of forgiving and the act of forgiving from when Jesus originally said it to the English language today. But there are some synonyms that we can look at that may help us to, to understand it. Uh, just a little bit better. And the first one is this. The word that was used, the word that Jesus used, um, was to release. Okay? When he, when, when he asked the Father to forgive, it would be like you and I saying, release them, because they don't know what they do. Let them go. Set them free. Okay? And I want us to remember these words now as we go along. We're going to need to hang on to them and put them all together at the end in order for them to make sense for us, okay? But when we forgive, there is this sense or there is this act of us taking something, okay, that we had a grip on and letting it go. Letting it go, setting it free. Okay? Everybody still with me? The second word, second English word, that sometimes is used to understand forgiveness in the original text is to bury. Okay? Now, that one's a little easier to understand for me. Okay? I know what that means. Okay? If you bury something, all right, you take it and you put it in the ground and you put dirt over it and you're done. 
Okay? So we get that. And then finally, it means to throw or to hurl and to cause a great distance between where you started and where this object winds up. Okay? To, to forgive denotes that there's a big space between where you began, where you, where you had something in your hand, and you literally let it go, all right, to where that object finally ends up. Okay? So let's recap, all right? We set something free. We bury it. And we throw it. And in the act of throwing it, we create a big gulf, a vast expanse between us and whatever it was that was thrown. Those are action words that maybe we can use to understand the concept of forgiveness. Now, what do all of those things have in common? To release, to let go, to set free, to bury, to throw, to cause separation. What, what's the common denominator there between all those things? I think it's the, the point or the application is that when you do any of those things to anything, you do not expect them back. I think that's, that's, that's how they're tied together, okay? When I was a kid in high school, um, I threw the discus on the track team. Let me tell you, the worst part of throwing the discus is having to go get it. And it's, it's a really kind of, kind of backward concept because the better you become at it, the farther you got to walk to go get it. And it doesn't matter even if, you know, you, you, you have a, you know, a light bulb moment and you think, I'm going to have more than one disc so I don't have to go as often. You still eventually have to go and get it. And there's a drudgery to that, okay? Especially if you're out there and you're practicing by yourself and, man, you're just, you're, you're, you're so fired up because you let one go really well and it got good flight and it got good spin and you caught some air under it. And, and maybe it was one of the best ones you'd thrown all year. And then you look and go, eventually I'm going to have to walk out there. You know, I throw the discus so I don't have to run. Okay? This is defeating my purpose. All right? God said when we forgive somebody, when we forgive something that's been done to us, and we, when we hurl that, okay, and we let that go, we have no intention whatsoever of walking back or walking out to where it is, picking that heavy object back up, and the drudgery of carrying it around with us. We've really not forgiven at all if that's the way we approach it. When we bury something, it would just be, just be weird. 
to dig it back up. I mean, we don't do that. We don't bury things with the intention, okay, of retrieving what's been buried. But when we fail to truly forgive, that's exactly what we do in our lives. We take something which is dead, which has been properly disposed of at some point in time, and we dig it back up. We put all that work and all that effort, and now we're carrying around a big heavy object that we've thrown away at one point in time, and another one that's dead that just smells bad. And when we truly let something go, when we really set something free, we don't have designs about retrieving whatever that is. We let it go. We, we set it free. I hate to confess this sin to you right now, but there ain't nobody here but us. When I was a little boy, I was playing in the woods one day, and I came across a dead bobcat, which was pretty interesting in and of itself. What was really cool were the two little baby bobcats that were there. So I stick one in one pocket and one in the other. And I come back home and I get my cousin's little doll bottle and some milk and I'm, I'm raising these little bobcats. My mother does not know this at this point in time. Well, at some point, she found out. And I don't care how nice you are to bobcats, they do not reciprocate that. <laughs> Those were wild little things. And as they become older and they got their eyes open and, and you know, they began to grow a little bit, instead of reaching in there and petting them and feeding them and stuff like that, you threw some food in there and hope you got your hand out in time. Well, my mother made the executive decision that they needed to go. They needed to be set free. And I promise you, she had no intention of me going back and getting them again. That's forgiveness. That's the concept. We truly let it go, and we have no designs whatsoever on bringing that, whatever it might have been, whoever might have been involved, we're not going to bring that back into our lives. The second thing that uh, struck me in what Jesus said, he said, Father, forgive them. Hmm. I like the, the word them because it means somebody else, right? Uh, I'm safe. I'm good. Them's a word I like. Okay. There's some East Texas English for you. Who was Jesus talking about? Who was Jesus talking about? I think one of the things that we often associate with the words that he said there on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, are the, the Roman soldiers who actually uh, carried out the, the execution. And I think that's right. I think that's who Jesus was talking about when he said, forgive them. Some people will say that what Jesus really meant uh, were the religious leaders, the 72 people that made up the Sanhedrin, 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees who had had this phony mock trial that convicted Jesus of things that he had never done that led to him being on the cross in the first place. When he said, Father, forgive them, surely that's who Jesus meant. And I think that's right. I think that's who he meant. You might think of the crowds that were there. Remember, this was a big spectacle. It was Passover. Everybody's in town. Crucifixion was a public thing. And there, were, there was a mob. And like people act when they're in a mob, that's the way people were acting that day. And, and they were saying horrible things about Jesus and to Jesus. Maybe that's who Jesus meant when he said, Father, forgive them. I think that's correct. I think that's right. Maybe it was Pilate. You know, Pilate really had a hard time with this. He didn't have the guts to stand up for what he really believed in, but he had a hard time with the whole concept. He tried two or three different times to, to make this situation go away, and, and finally when he realized that he couldn't, um, he, he has somebody bring a bowl of water out there so he can symbolically uh, wash his hands of the whole situation and, and try to pretend like he didn't have anything to do with it. Maybe that's who Jesus meant. And I think that's right. I think that's who he meant. Only problem with the word them in this particular setting is that Jesus meant me too. You see, them was a big, big, inclusive word. And yeah, it accounted for everybody that was there that day, but it also accounted for you and me. Because he could, the Lord could foresee that in his mind and he could literally know that the sins that you would commit and that I would commit would cause a separation between us and, and a holy God. And he said, Father, forgive them. You know, I like, I would love to be able to stand here today and said, man, if I was there then, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have acted like those people. I'd, I'd have pitched a fit. I'd have, I'd have done anything I, I could to keep Jesus from having to go. There's no way that I would ever crucify the sinless, spotless son of God who never did anything wrong in his entire life. I wouldn't have put Jesus on the cross. The truth is, I already did. I already did. When Jesus said, forgive them, it implicates us. But I sure am glad he used that simple pronoun. I'm sure glad he didn't get real specific that day. I'm glad he included me. He included you. Them means us. It means all of us. And so when we are faced with the inevitability of people doing damage in our lives that cause us pain and cause us grief, and we have the choice to either be forgiving or not forgiving, 
then we have to follow the same pattern that the Lord did and understand that them means everybody. Not just the ones who come to us and are truly sorry. Not just the ones who try to make amends for what they've done to us. Not just the ones who maybe had a misstep along the way, but the rest of their life has been really, really good and really, really straight and narrow. They think like us. They look like us. Um, we like associating with them. Oh, they're in there. There's a whole lot more. See, if we're going to forgive, we have to forgive them. Plural. All. The ones that never say they're sorry. The ones that seem glad. Are almost some, they have some sense of accomplishment that they caused us some, some pain or some, some grief along the way. We have to forgive them. The ones who never acknowledge that what they did was wrong. The ones who don't change. The ones we frankly cannot stand to be around. If we're going to grow in our spiritual maturity, if we're going to reach this mile marker, then we've got to be able to forgive them. Next thing Jesus said was, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Now, that seems kind of odd to me. The Roman soldiers knew what they were doing. History tells us that to get to the place, and this is a morbid concept, but to get to the place where you were in charge of an execution, you had to rise in the ranks. I would think it'd be the bottom. You know, it would be the worst job. But no, that's not the way the Roman army approached things. In order to get to be an executioner, you had to be very, very good, very, very skilled, very knowledgeable about what you did. And those guys took a lot of pride in their work. I know that sounds hard for us today, but that's exactly the way they felt about it. They felt they were doing a service to Caesar and to their government and to their country. And they were good at it. They knew how to do it efficiently. They knew how to do it repetitively. And, you know, we think about crucifixion as the one time that Jesus uh, hung on the cross. But we have to remember, this was a constant way of life for these folks in the first century. And these guys were good at it. So for Jesus to say, they don't know what they're doing. That seems kind of, kind of strange, doesn't it? What he meant was, oh, they know the mechanics. They understand the immediate implication in that people die when they do their job, but they don't really, really know all that's involved and all that's going to happen because of their actions today. They understand, Jesus was saying, they understand how to put my physical body through this torture so that it succumbs to the crucifixion, but they don't understand the ramifications that this is going to have. They knew, but they didn't know. 
The Sanhedrin knew, but they didn't know. They knew that they could get rid of this guy, this, this guy that was kind of out there, this carpenter from Nazareth. If they could get rid of him, then their immediate lot in life was going to be a whole lot better. But they had no earthly idea. They could not conceive of the long-term ramifications that this would have, the long-term effect that the wrath of God being satisfied on the cross would actually have. They knew, but they didn't know. The mob, they, they knew what they were saying. They said it on purpose. They said, crucify him. They said his blood can be on us and upon our children and upon generations of our children. They knew what they were saying physically and mechanically, but they didn't really know. They didn't really know what that was going to mean for the history of the world. They knew, but they didn't know. One of the toughest things for us when it comes to forgiving other people is that oftentimes the truth of the matter is they knew what they were doing when they hurt us. They did it intentionally. However, now and then somebody does something accidentally or somebody says something that we interpreted the wrong way or, or, or something like that. But a lot of times we've got to be real, real blat blatantly honest with ourselves and go, they knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah, they knew, but they didn't know. They had no idea that you would get up every morning and at some time before the day would end, you'd think about that situation for years and years and years to come. They knew what they were doing at the time, but they had no idea how it would change your life. How it would literally make you into somebody different than you were before and perhaps different than you were intended to be. Study after study after study on, on the subject of child abuse comes up with one conclusion that regardless of, of what actually is done to a child, what, what type of abuse, what type of mechanical, physical thing is done to the child, one thing that you can always count on is that it will change who they are. They know but they didn't really know. And we have to accept that. And the reason we have to accept that is because that's exactly what Jesus did. When he said, Father, they don't know what they're doing, he wasn't talking about that day. He wasn't talking about that Friday afternoon. He was talking about the big picture. And we have to accept the fact that when people wrong us, To a certain extent, they didn't know what they were doing. And we have to let that go. We have to create that space. We've got to throw that object. We've got to set it free. We've got to bury it. Whatever analogy works better for you, whatever illustration works better for you, you hang on to that. Whichever you do with it, remember the intention is not to go get it. Not to bring it back up. Last week we said, how do we tithe? And we made the joke, we said, we knock you up. We just do it. 
to a certain extent, forgiveness and living in, the, in, a, in a concept of forgiveness is the same way. Two things I think are real important when we talk about that this morning. The first one is this. We have to detach from our emotions. We have to disengage from our emotions. That's exactly what Jesus did. His emotions were evident in the garden before he got to the cross. You remember that? That's when he was sweating blood. That's when he was literally saying, Lord, I don't want to do this. Those were his emotions. Those were his feelings. Those were, were real to him. So real that it affected the physiology of his body. But at some point, he disengaged from those. And he went and did what he had to do. When we've been hurt, when we've been wronged, those feelings are real and they're painful and they may affect the physiology of who we are. But if we're going to get past that and if we're not going to feel as bad about it tomorrow as we do today, we've got to disengage from our emotions and we have to depend on God. That's what the Lord did. He said, not my will, but yours. I don't like it, I don't understand it, but I trust you, Father. And I'm going to go. Disengage from our emotions and depend on God. One, one final thought, and I'll be through this morning. I'm a firm believer that you can't give away anything you do not possess. I can't give anything to you that I don't own. As badly as I would like to, if I don't have it, I don't have it. Can't give away anything that I don't possess. If you've never accepted the forgiveness that Jesus anguished that day to achieve, there's no way you can give it away to somebody else. It's just not. There's no other source. Jesus himself prayed for it. He said, Father, forgive them. He knew that God had to get involved in this process in order to make it work. And he, he knew that we needed that, and so he accomplished that for us. But if we don't have that in our lives, we can, we can try as hard as we want to try. But it's going to be empty because we don't have it to give. We can't bury something that we don't possess. We can't throw something away that we don't have a hold of. We can't set something free that we don't own. So if you struggle with the concept of forgiveness this morning, make sure above everything else that you have accepted forgiveness. That you have taken what Jesus worked so hard all his life, and especially on the cross, to make available to us. Because here's the cool thing. 
the supply doesn't run out. Oh, we have a supply chain problem in America today, don't we? Yes. I went to the store not too long ago. Okay. There was no dog food. Really? And you can go back to the store a couple of days later and it'll be like no bread. You know, things that don't seem to make sense, we, we have a hard time getting right now. It's not, that's not true when God is the supplier of what we need. So our prayer for you this morning is if you've never truly experienced the unconditional, unmerited, completely unwarranted forgiveness that comes with a dynamic encounter and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that that'll be the first thing you do. It won't make everything else easy, but it will make everything else possible. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we thank you, God, that in the middle of all that you were doing, in the, in the midst of the agony and the torture that you were going through, you took the time to ask your Father to forgive us. And we thank you, Father, that when you didn't want to finish when you didn't want to keep going, that you were steadfast and you were determined and you made it possible. God, the truth is there's a lot of us here right now that struggle with this being a way of life for us and it's a, it's a captive force. When we're angry and when we're bitter and when we're hurt, and that's not what you wanted. Help us, Father, to understand that just as eternal forgiveness didn't have anything to do with us, it was all about what Jesus did, that earthly forgiveness between people doesn't have anything to do with them. It's all about what we do with it. God, if we need to let it go, help us to do that this morning. If we need to bury it, help us to do that, God, and to pack it tight and to make sure um, that it never comes up again, God. Help us to determine that we're gonna live in the forgiveness and the freedom that you died for us to have. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.